So for those of y'all that are movie buffs, you remember that, let's just play some movie trivia. Rocky won. Sylvester Sloan writes a, a movie, he writes out a script uh, to talk about the life of this boxer named Rocky Balboa, who, uh, you know, is a fighter, he's, he's, you know, kind of a slugger, you know, he can't really talk out of both sides of his mouth. Uh, I think that's more a Sylvester Stallone thing than anything. But does anybody remember who wins in Rocky One? You would say, if you said Rocky, you'd be wrong. Rocky won, Rocky loses. He comes out the loser. He's a victor because he makes it through and doesn't die. But he loses. And that was the end of Rocky One. So Sylvester Stallone goes back and he immediately writes out Rocky II. And in Rocky II, we get the return of the villain, who is really kind of villainous in ways, but ultimately becomes a buddy of Rocky's, because that's what guys do. We fight and then we become friends. Women, y'all fight and you keep fighting. Um, Men, we fight, we, we bond. So in Rocky II, they fight it out. At the end of Rocky II, it comes down to, I believe, the 12th round. Somebody may prove that wrong in my mind. But they, they go to slugging, and they're both exhausted. Uh, Apollo is there, and he's, he tells Rocky the first of the round, they, you know, touch gloves, and Apollo says, you're going down. And Rocky says, no, I'm not, you know. And, uh, and so they start slugging it out, and Rocky's managers told him, you need to go with your left because it's strong and he can't defend it. And they're trading blows, and finally Rocky lands a left hook. Boom! They both go down. They're exhausted. They're both laying on the canvas, and they're, they're both reaching for the ropes on the side. And Apollo's kind of getting up faster than Rocky. The music's playing. Both, both guys are going, get up! And the rest counting out, five, six. And the announcers are going, if neither of them gets up, Apollo keeps his belt. Seven, eight, and you get up, Rock! You know, and uh, the other guy goes, get up, Apollo. And they're, they're both grabbing a head. And then Apollo's almost to his feet, and he falls back, and he lays in the corner of the ring. And Rocky stands up, and everybody goes crazy. And it's the end line of Rocky II. He's looking at the TV set as his wife's at home with their newborn baby. And he goes, yeah, Adrian, I did it. And then that's the end of Rocky II. I think there's something in all of us that desires to win at what we're doing. I don't think anybody sets out any given day and says, you know what, I hope I really stink at this day. I hope this day just ruins my life. You know, I'm gonna get up today and just really botch it up at my work. I'm gonna go to school today and just make an F because I wanna ruin my day. I don't know if anybody goes to bed at night and says, you know what, I hope when I wake up in the morning, I have a pimple right at the end of my nose. (laughs) Or says, you know what, and I've learned this, I hope when I wake up in the morning, my hip hurts. Now, for students, none of them get this, but I've discovered this is new about my body. I wake up in the morning and I go, what did I do in the night to deserve this? And you get up and you're, you're having to walk like this, you know, because your hip hurts so bad. You look at your mate like, what, did you kick me? Which could be a thing, uh, but I, I've discovered that none of us wants to lose, we want to win. We pick up in Peter's life and Peter chapter 2. We're not going to avoid chapter 1. I want to come back to that later. 
uh, maybe next year sometime or the next year after that. But I want to pick up in 2 Peter 2 because we started together, if you remember, talking about Peter's life in the Gospels. He was a fisherman, remember, who left his family's business. He would have been the eldest. He left his family's livelihood, his mother-in-law's living in his house. We, we see that he steps out, he follows this Jesus guy with no monetary okay. I mean, that, that was a life-changing move for Peter. We also get that Peter is, is kind of stuck in threes. Uh, we get it when he, he's sitting there talking to Peter on the shore one day, and he says, hey, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter goes, okay, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, three. Then we get, you're going to deny me how many times? Three times. That, that's an amazing feat. And then we also get that he's going to encourage him three times to go and share with people the gospel. So Peter is in this three kind of state. Now we get him to this point of life in Acts where uh, the early church has started, the Holy Spirit has fallen. Peter's walking out. He's encouraging the church. He's setting it up just as Jesus told him he would. So now we have Peter, who used to be a fisherman, who is now a preacher. And he's setting up churches everywhere. But here's the problem with Peter. He's only setting them up in his hometowns. Because he hasn't got yet that he's supposed to go reach the world. So in Acts chapter 10, he has this moment. He's sitting at home. He's, he's hungry. He's kind of hangry at this point. And the Lord leads him up to the rooftop, and he lowers down a sheet that has, like, the worst possible foods ever on it. And Jesus says to him, eat. And he's like, all of this stuff's unclean. And the Lord reminds him, whatever I've made clean, you can never make unclean. You know how many times that happens? Three times. Why? Because Peter's like us. Peter was a man. We had to hear things three times to do it. And if you don't agree with that, women, do you have to tell your husband more than once? You know you do. Try in threes. They'll get it eventually. So there's the takeaway. Women, that's all you needed for the rest of the day. Go ahead and pass the women the offering plate if you would at this time. <laughs> Y'all are like, I would pay for that. Did you hear? I'm going to tell you three times, you know. But so he tells him, you need to reach the world because whatever I've called clean, whatever I died for, whatever I gave my life for, you are never to call unclean. He's a, then led to Cornelius' house in which he says the words, I now get that God has called us to reach everybody. This is significant because what happens next is Peter goes on a journey. We see that he spends most of his time in this area called Asia Minor. And he spends a lot of time there setting up churches and reaching out to people. And at some point, he has gone through all of that region, and now he's in Rome. He is a prisoner in Rome, and he's aged. And we know from historical fact that this is where Peter will die. Peter's life would be taken in Rome. And he knows it's about to happen because we get the, the tone of his voice in 2 Peter that he knows his time is getting short. And so 2 Peter is a letter of earnest uh, fervor. It is just calling out the people, capture this heart, hear this, do this, because time is short and it's at least my time and your time is coming, so don't give up. Peter becomes a passionate preacher in 2 Peter. He moves from being a, a fisherman who's doing poorly <laughs> to a passionate preacher in captivity in Rome. And so that's what we pick up in 2 Peter, is that guy writing his last letter. His passionate plea, keep going, don't 
give up. Join me in 2 Peter this morning, if you will. We're going to do this a little different than I normally do. We're going we're gonna to just walk straight through together. So normally we would sit in, we'd just read the text, we'd go back and look through it. This time we're just going to go text by text. So if you got your pens out and you're, you're ready to go, as you take your notes, you're going to see that we're going to stay in perfect line with the text. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal privilege with ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter has gained the understanding of equal footing. Peter has gained the understanding of equal footing. It is now an understandable for Peter's life, at this point in his life, that he realizes that anyone in Christ has equal footing. It didn't matter if you grew up a Jew or you're a Gentile. In Christ, we are all belonging to the family of God. This is a huge movement, a shift in Peter's theology that anyone in Christ would be on equal footing starting out. So when he says this, he's not writing just haphazardly. He is writing with a new intention that he's hoping that anybody that has his old way of thinking will get it. Just realize those who have attained a faith of equal privilege. This scripture for you and I is so amazing because most of us in this room, whether we like to admit it or not, do not have Jewish background. And so because that we are in a Gentile world, outside of the nation of Israel, we are not the chosen people from the Old Testament. But because of Jesus, he broke that line over to all in Christ. We now have equal footing. We are God's children in Jesus. We are sons and daughters of God. And so when Peter writes this, You can just imagine him in tears thinking, I wish I'd have heard this sooner. How many more people would be sons and daughters today had I known this and caught this sooner? This is his passionate letter. He's hoping people get this. And he's writing back to these Asia Minor churches, don't miss it. Don't lose a step. Just remember there's equal footing in Christ. Verse 2 says, may grace And peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus. Knowing Jesus, this is your next fill in the blank, knowing Jesus gives us all we need to follow him. How do we know that? Verse 3. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. We have all we need. You have all you need at your fingertips in Jesus to live a life that is fruitful and awesome. Or you have all you need to regret at the end of your life that you haven't used. It's amazing to me to to go and buy groceries. And maybe you've had this moment where you go and get groceries at the grocery store and, and you take them home and you put them in your fridge. And as you're putting them in, you start to see what you need to get out of your fridge. Any of y'all have this moment? Oh, we didn't eat all that cheese. It's green now. Anybody ever found potatoes that have started to plant themselves? Y'all laugh because y'all are with me. All of a sudden they have legs and you're like, I didn't know that happened. Like if you left them long enough, out of your cabinet would grow potatoes. I don't know why we ever buy potatoes. Just leave them. 
they'll start their own colony. But that's what happens, isn't it? You go buy groceries and you go back and you purge your other groceries. Why is that that we can do that? Because you have everything you need. You have everything. It is full. And that's the kind of life that God wants you to experience is not running on empty. He wants you to run on full. He doesn't want you to experience the Christian life okay. He has no need for you to experience the Christian life in artificial flavor. We should be soaking up the goodness that's true. I mean, haven't we learned this by now? That all the diet stuff that they've given us that has like, like artificial sugars and artificial everythings has now been deemed worse than the real stuff? Like, how is it that scientists have now proven drinking a Coke is safer than drinking a Diet Coke? Like, Coke will melt your batteries, but it's better than drinking Diet Coke because Diet Coke is bad for you. You're like, now wait a second. I, I grew up in a household where we drank Tab Cola. Any of you ever drink Tab Cola? That was the worst tasting stuff on the planet. But it's supposed to be healthy for you. So is exercise and eating right. But none of us, we just drink Tab Cola. It's like when you go to, to eat fast food and you're like, yes, I'll have the double meat cheeseburger, large fries, and a diet soda. Like that doesn't offset anything. It just means you're going to die sooner. Don't do it. Just drink the Coke and let it dissolve all the burger before it gets to your stomach. That's my theory. Um, if it can dissolve battery acid, it can dissolve this burger before it hits my stomach. Take that, scientist. Um, God has everything you need in Jesus. When you invite him into your heart, he pours out his blessings and his future and his grace and his mercy on you at that moment so that you can run freely. The problem is when we're running, we tend to look to our right and our you're right, my left. Anyways, um, we tend to look to the sides instead of running towards him, and we get lost in it. How is it that good Christians lose their way? It's not because Jesus is messed up. It's not because he made a wrong turn. It's because at some point in our running after him, we've lost sight of it is about him, and we've made it about us. And so Peter's trying to tell them, you have everything it takes don't let false teachers, and listen, this is really why he's writing these letters. He leaves Asia Minor, and he shows this letter back up because he's hearing false preachers come in and go, now, are you sure that's what he meant? I mean, are we really sure that Peter knew Jesus? I mean, he smells like a fisherman. Like, are we sure that he really thinks that Jesus is coming back? I mean, are we positive of this? So he writes this letter going, don't lose sight. Don't lose sight of where I'm leading you. And so we get this letter in 2 Peter as he's writing them and he's just telling them, don't lose it. But it's not just that. Listen to what he says next. Uh, let's back up to verse 3. By his divine power he has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these he has given us a great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. Scripture, your next fill in the blank, Scripture helps us escape sin's traps. Scripture helps us escape sin's traps. This week has been an interesting week. Um, it's been a hard week. 
Um, we had a, a very prominent doctor take his life this week. And it, it hit us hard. Um, several of us that knew him, it, it really it gave us a gut punch. He is a, a, a man of faith. Um, he was a, a devoted churchgoer. In fact, uh, the week before, he had spent alone time with his pastoral staff telling them he's been going through some hard stuff. And they visited with him. They'd given him a path to, to heal, a path of encouragement, a path of inclusivity. And this past week, he took his life. And it, it just kind of stunned us all. And it, it made us kind of take a step. But I, I, I got to tell you, I, I went to that funeral, and the whole time the funeral was going, I just kept thinking in the back of my mind, what leads people down that path? What, what leads a person that's pursuing Jesus to take their own life and, and leave behind a very sweet family and a very bright future and a great business with great clientele and great workers? What moves someone to do that? And listen, as your pastor, I wish I could just tell you all the answers to that question, but let me just tell you what happens. Satan is a liar. And he's going to convince you time and time again that you're in control of you. And that when you can't fix it, you fix it the way that he tells you to. And he'll make you walk down a wrong path. And I believe this with all of my heart. I do not believe God's plan for this doctor was to take his life. I think Satan used him. And he's left behind a broken-hearted family and a, a broken-hearted community that's asking all the questions of why. And you know what it really led me to do is I stood in the back of the sanctuary hearing the funeral sermon and hearing my brother do a great job. I sat there and thought, how many of my congregation are going through a time where they're hearing a voice other than God telling them to do something? So let me just invite you into a question this morning. As your pastor, hear my plea. Test everything against God's word. Test it. And if it doesn't sound right, take it out. And what's more is this. Please, hear my urgent plea to you today. Tell someone. Call us on the staff. Include us in your questions. And include us in what's happening in your heart. Because I believe this that you are worth dying for through Jesus such that he can change your world. And you may be going through a terrible time and it may be emotionally hard and it may seem like you don't have a way out. But I gotta tell you something. The Lord has a plan for your life and you should use it to its fullness, but let someone in. Don't go a solo road. In fact, if you find yourself on a solo road, I can guarantee you it's not God's. He's given you community. He's given you people around you to encourage you and point you and be with you. So don't go it alone. Include people. Hear my heart. Please tell someone. In fact, let me pray for you now. Father in heaven, You know the hearts of the people in this room. Lord, you crafted them. Lord, you know the number of their days. You know the number of hairs on their head. You know everything about them. Their very DNA. You, 
You formed them in their mother's womb for a purpose. And God, I believe that the enemy is taking time to ruin. Scripture tells us to steal, kill, and destroy. But Father, we believe that you're greater than him. In fact, Scripture tells us that you are greater than he that is in the world. And so that while the enemy's trying to attack those in this room and and discourage them and to take their joy and to ruin their lives and eventually even take their lives, God, we believe that you can change their story. And God, we believe there's a better way out. And so, Father God, we ask that you would break the work of the enemy and the lives of the people in this room. God, you have a plan. God, and it's great and it's vast and it's powerful and it's holy. And God, we believe that Satan wants to kill all of that. But God, you're greater. So Father God, I ask that you'd break open the hearts of the people in this room. God, that they would be willing and able to raise their hands and say, I need help. Lord, I'm discouraged, God, and I need help. And God, that they would reach out and they'd have brothers and sisters, God, that would be anxiously waiting to hear their voices and be on their side, God. That they would never again feel that walk alone, but God, they would always feel people around them that will walk with them. And so God, we just pray that you would break those chains right now. Lord, in the midst of this sermon about what you're doing and the power of the, the, the just ministry of Peter, God, we believe that while... Peter had a great ministry. He's with you. We are here now. God, speak now. Break things now. Heal now, God. We believe you can do that. And so, God, we pray that over our family in this room right now. Lord, break the discouragement. Break the temptation. Break the sin. Break the discouragement. Break the depression. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, when Peter wrote this letter, he was like Paul in the worst possible place you could be in. Discouraged, beat up, left alone, with no one else around him. And he's writing to a church trying to get them to catch the fire again. To not let false teaching turn them to the right or the left, but to be focused on Jesus. And he just tells them, hold on to what you heard Hold on to the truth of who Jesus said he was. Hold on to the promises that he gave you. Don't get discouraged. Keep going. And so he tries to get them to capture this in their minds. In verse 5 he says this, For this very reason. And he starts to go into a list. And I want to give you, before we start it, he is about to give them a list of the attributes of Jesus. And so what he's doing is he's pointing them back to Jesus. He's saying, don't lose sight If you're going to point to Jesus, here's what you have to put on your list. Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. Goodness with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with endurance. Endurance with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection with love. Our faith needs tools that only God has. Our faith needs tools that only God has. It's amazing when you're going to fix something at your house. And you start to get in the midst of it, and you realize you don't have that tool. I remember one time we were going to fix the drain at our old house. And I was going to take the drain out of the the bottom of the tub. And I went in to do that, and you know what I realized? There's a tool for that. It's this weird, awful little tool with these four prongs that stick down your drain, and you turn it like this. I didn't have that tool. So you know what I had to do? I had to go to Lowe's. 
I know there was a tool for this. I tried everything. I had needle nose pliers. Some of y'all have done this too, and you tried to turn it. It doesn't work. Tried everything. So I go there, and standing in a low section of, you know, kind of the bathroom area, and I'm just looking at the walls like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And this guy walks up, and he goes, can I help you? And I'm like, I'm an idiot. And he goes, I've heard that. I was like, I've been talking to my wife. Anyways, um, he goes, no, man, what do you need help with? And I said, I'm trying to take the drain out of the tub. He goes, just stop right there. Come with me. We walk over, and he, he pulls the tool out. It's in this plastic package. He goes, this is it. So what does that do? He goes, follow me. We walked over to where the fake, you know, tubs and, and showers are, and he, he pops open the thing, and he sets it down in there, and he goes, and I was like, that's brilliant. Because you know what happened? There was a plumber somewhere that went, there's got to be a better way. And so what he did is he went back to the shop and he, he made a tool. And that dude now lives in New York in an upper level apartment somewhere, I guarantee you. But he made that tool. And when I took it home, after sitting there trying to move that, I, I set it down there and just went, and it came right out. And I was like, that's the most brilliant thing I've ever seen in my life. You see, that's the problem with people outside of faith. They're trying all these tools to do what God gave us tools to do. They tried to add all this stuff in their life, uh, affection of a mate, uh, monetary gain, you know, prestige. They, they try and add all this to make a life that seems like it has hope and peace. Don't you see it in our world? That our world, our very nation is against one another. And the reason they're against one another is they're all grasping at tools to fix what they can't fix. They have to use Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He is the tool to fix what's wrong. And so we have people going time and time again back to whatever they can find. They're, they're grasping at more stuff. They're going to fix that drain in the tub with whatever they can find. And all it's doing is ruining what's there. And the Lord's just sitting back going, you need the right tool. You need the right tool. I've got it. It's me. And so in this moment, in verse 5, Peter's reminding them, you're trying at the wrong tools. Jesus is it. So add this list. This is who he is. Notice I didn't say was. Because Peter knew that Jesus was alive. Who Jesus is. Add this to your list. Then verse 9 says this. Verse 8, let's back up to there. For these qualities are yours. And are increasing, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. When we aren't using these tools, y'all, next fill in the blank, when we're not using these tools, we are brokenly self-sufficient. And we're not any good at being self-sufficient. You ever put in the maps on your phone where to get somewhere? put in the address, and you're looking at how long it takes, and it takes you like three hours to get across town, and you're like, what? Then you look, and it says walking. I don't even know why that's on our phones. Like, listen, I'm not going to walk anywhere. In fact, if I can get in my car and drive across the street, there's a good chance of that, because this is built on that. But why it says walking, I'm like, I don't get that. So you click drive, and it's like two minutes. You're like, okay, here's the other problem. It takes two minutes to drive there and three hours to walk. 
who is making these maps? Like there's some guy out there going, oh, here we go again. Oh, let's begin. You know what I'm saying? Three hours later, they're like, I'm here. And they're like, done. Three hours. Good time, Bob. Thanks. Now you need to walk across the street. <laughs> like, I don't know who invented that, who started that, but that's wrong. Uh, but this is what we're doing. We're becoming self-sufficient. Everywhere we're going, we're walking on our own strength, in our own power, in our own might. And, and the Lord's going, you're missing the point. I didn't just come to die for your sins. That's a part of it. I came to live so that you might live. And so when you live the way I ask you to, when you follow my precepts, you don't live this broken, messed up life. You start to look more and more like Jesus. And it may make you a foreigner. And I believe when Scripture holds truth, it'll make the world hate you. Because you'll live free in a broken and, and like chained up world. That's the reason Christians should look so different. When the world is caving in, Christians walk through the cave. They go, I'm, I'm not tied to anything here. This isn't my home. That king, that president is not my ruler. I serve one God. Listen, I, I think there's a recall of Christianity that reminds us that if we walk in Jesus, we can't walk in anything else. We have to be all his. And maybe that's why Christianity is not working. Let's be honest. Christianity is not working. Y'all are like, this guy should not be preaching. It's not working. Here's why. The church is trying to walk with Jesus instead of in Jesus. And because of that, we keep looking like the world instead of him. And so all of our theology shows up in terms of people instead of in terms of Jesus. So if you read your Bible and you go, I disagree with that, it makes you an enemy of God. It doesn't make you a debater. All Scripture is God-breathed. So if you disagree with Scripture, you have to disagree with God. That's a big problem, isn't it? So when Peter's writing to this church in Asia, he's going, don't forget, guys, please don't stop. Remember what Jesus said. Don't lose heart. Verse 10, he says, therefore, brothers... Make every effort to confirm your calling and election because if you do these things, you will never stumble. Wouldn't that be awesome? You'll never stumble. For in this way, entry into the king, eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly supplied to you. Therefore, I always remind you about these things. Even though you know them and are established in truth, you have, I consider it right as long as I'm in this bodily tent to wake you up with a reminder, knowing that I will soon lay aside my tent, as the Lord Jesus Christ has also shown me, and I will also make every effort that you may be able to recall these things at the time, any time after my departure. Can you hear his words of knowing his time is coming soon? He just tells them, I'm, I'm going to be that wake-up call every time you open your eyes. I'm going to be there waking you up. And it's this, we need constant reminders. We need constant reminders of Jesus' love. You are to do that for others. That's why you show up at church. That's why you should show up at life group. That's why you should show up at Bible studies. That's why you should read your Bible at home, because we need the reminders. Because as soon as we stop hearing the reminders, we will turn Jesus off. And isn't that what our world looks at Christianity as? 
a bunch of people showing up at buildings with a, a Jesus that is turned off. All they see in the church is them. I gotta tell you something. Something happens to churches that set reminders of Jesus constantly before them. They catch eternal fire that burns this side of heaven and heals that side. They're the kind of people that show up and say, you can't live like that and claim Jesus. You can't act like that and say you're one of his. You can't claim a false truth and be one of us. It is all Jesus or nothing. No more false Jesus. That's why when people show up and stand outside of, of funerals and scream at people in the name of Jesus, we should punch them straight in the face in righteous indignation in the name of Jesus. I'm just, don't do that. But if you can do that, do that. Anyways, um, shouldn't there be something in our gut that says it should look different than this? I should be living different than this. If I follow after Jesus, I shouldn't be experiencing this. So if I'm experiencing this, it's not Jesus, it's me. Jesus, change me. Jesus, mold me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, move me. There's got to come a point where we get reminders of who Jesus is. And until we leave this earth, we should be another alarm clock for our world of who Jesus is. So let me ask you one more time. What voice are you hearing today? If it's a voice telling you something other than Scripture, I want you to do me a favor. When we do our invitation, I want you to run down the aisle. Because that voice is going to follow you down the aisle. I want you just to drop to your knees and pray and say, God, I, I hear something contrary to Scripture, and I'm done with it. Let me tell you what will happen. That voice may be there when you leave, but it's going to be a whole lot smaller. Because when Jesus shows up, it gets really quiet. Because light and darkness have no fellowship with one another. And when you invite the light of the world to stand in your place, when you invite the light of the world to come cleanse your life, darkness has to run. It doesn't walk away. It runs the other way. Because when Jesus shows up, oh baby, Satan doesn't want to be there. That's what happens. So you need to run down the aisle and you need to fall to your knees and just declare, God, I need help. God, I need healing. I'm hearing something other than truth. And God, I need a change Breathe in me, change me, mold me. Maybe today you're like, I don't even know where to start. Well, that's why we stand down here on Sunday mornings. We don't have it all together, but I can just tell you we're on the journey, so come with us. We, we may not have all the answers for your life, but I can tell you, I know one who does. And it may be a while before he answers, but he'll answer. And when he answers, it'll change your life, so you should come and give him your life today. So hear Peter's warning today. There is tools waiting to be used in your life by Jesus. And he wants to change your life. He wants to lead you. And maybe this morning is a reminder for you to wake up. Wake up. Let's be changed by the Lord. Let's leave out of here changed. Never the same. You should not leave this room today without being changed by God. The only person standing in the way of that is you. So let's pray once more. Father God. Break this place. 
God, may the next few moments be a renewal, a revival of your spirit. God, may you change the very moments that are about to happen in this room because you're about to show up big. God, you're going to wound us, God, if we don't move. God, you desire to change us. You desire to move in our lives. You desire for your church to be alive. So, Father God, breathe life right now into this room. Change it forever, God. Make it a place that is a place of worship, prayer, and brokenness. God, we want to look like you. We want to smell like you. We want to act like you. So, Father Jesus, Holy Spirit, move and brush amongst us right now. May we never leave this room the same again. Move, God. We pray this in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.